My name's Dwayne Arledge. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and it's my privilege to be speaking this weekend. I talk and listen to people all the time. And we talk about spiritual things. And I've come to a conclusion over the last few months. I think faith has a bad reputation with most people. I hear people talk about faith and having faith and having faith to do something or having faith that something is going to happen. And as I listen, I don't think faith is that good a thing in their lives for, the, for many, many, many people. That may sound a bit negative, but I think it's just reality because they're saying they want to have faith, but they don't sound like they have much faith in faith. But I don't believe it's faith's problem. I don't think it's faith's fault that faith has a bad reputation among most people. Let me give you some examples of things I hear. These are, these are things over the last years and years. Some of them I have heard here. Some are from other places I've lived and life experiences are friends who live in other places. But none of these are just kind of made up. A father loses his job through the downsizing of a company during difficult economic times. And some of his faith friends remind him that if he had enough faith, he wouldn't be without a job. And that, indeed, God wants him to be wealthy and prosper. So if he has enough faith, he'll have not only enough a job, but enough money and plenty of money. Another family has a family member who contracts a terminal disease. And during the course of that person's illness, friends continually tell them, if you have enough faith, this person will be healed. The person dies. And so that family is left with the guilt of, they must be dead because I didn't have enough faith. A husband and wife decide to write a $2,000 check. This didn't happen at Fellowship of the Rockies. A $2,000 check for the church's world missions fund. The check bounces. And so when they're confronted with it, their answer is this. We wrote the check by faith believing that if we stepped out on faith that somehow God would miraculously make that $2,000 appear in our checking account in that time. They planned, they said they trusted God, they stepped out on faith. Instead, they were embarrassed deeply. A pastor friend of mine and his wife, a decade or more ago, planting a church. <clears throat> Those of you who were here at Fellowship of the Rockies, in the early days, know that when you plant a church, you always need funds. You never have enough money to pay the rent on the building or to pay salaries or anything else. And so they determined that they were going to start a small business. And that small retail business was going to pay for all the needs of that new church. 
Now, they did this despite wise counsel from business people who were solid believers, Christians, who said, the area you're going into is already saturated with that business. Second, the lease on the property is far too expensive for the return you get typically in that type of business. But somehow, they believed they should just step out on faith and start this business. Months and months later, they closed the business, did not complete the lease, ended up being on the hook for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars instead of it by faith paying for their church. I talk with people most every week, and I'll hear them say things, or I'll hear them say to someone else, even in the church foyer out here, if you believe with all your heart and you have faith, God will give you what you want. Or they'll say, keep the faith and good things are going to come your way. Now, that's just a sampling of the things that are said about faith or the things that are done in the name of faith. Do you think those scenarios describe true faith? Here's what I think. I think those scenarios describe people who are often following their own desires and they're giving it the name faith. I think they're wishing for a remote possibility to happen, something that comes out of their own self-centered desires sometimes, and they're calling it faith. Now, I'm not saying everybody everywhere is just selfish and they don't understand faith. Please do not think I'm saying that for one moment. But far too often, every one of us, beginning with me, mistakes something that is just our own desire for faith. We call it faith and we begin to want it so badly that we begin to kind of demand that God comes through because after all, we're exercising faith. And so what I want to begin with this morning is a simple statement. All belief is not faith. You can believe in something, you can want it badly, and yet that is not necessarily faith at all. <clears throat> now the only place any of us can get reliable answers is in God's Word. So if you would turn in your Bibles or open your tablets, your smartphones, whatever you use for a Bible, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin in the very first verse. There's some verses in this I'm going to ask you to highlight or underline or however you highlight it in whatever version or whatever way you choose to read the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 Beginning of verse 1, we'll just read six verses, and I'm only going to use a few other verses from Scripture today, uh, not like we'll usually do and use a lot of other verses to help corroborate that, prove it. But today, I want us to just kind of dig down deeply into these six verses and understand that God has given us a lot of information here to understand what true faith is. 
Beginning of verse 1. <clears throat> Faith is the confidence that, we hope, that what we hope for will actually happen. Let me clarify quickly. Hope in the Bible is not just random, unfounded wishing for something. Hope in the Bible is founded on God's character and God's promises, who He is, what He says. So it's a hope that has a foundation, not one without a foundation, okay? So keep that in your mind as we read today and as we talk. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. And then it begins to give some, the writer begins to give some examples of faith. Through their faith, the people in days of old, that would be Old Testament believers in God, those who were believed by faith. So through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. In the Greek, that phrase, earned a good reputation, means God commended them. He gave approval for their faith. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Verse 4 speaks about Cain and Abel, uh, the, the two, first two sons of Adam and Eve. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And then... He speaks about another man in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 5 is where his story is, named Enoch. Enoch lived a long life, and he's one of two in the Old Testament who went on to heaven without dying physically. Enoch and then the prophet Elijah. So the story of Enoch is mentioned here. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Highlight that verse. Underline it. Whatever you do, put a bookmark there. Something that causes you to pay attention to that verse. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Now, out of those six verses, I want to share three foundational things. These are not the only truths about faith. These are just some foundational things that God is reteaching me continually that helps me to understand what true faith is. These are three things we can use to measure if what we're calling faith is really true faith or not. Or if it's something we've just conjured up and we want to give it the name of faith in order to try to accomplish what we want to accomplish. The first test is this. The object of true faith is God. Verse 6 says this. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists. We come to Him for salvation. And that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. God is the focus of this verse, this whole passage. In fact, God's the focus of the entire Bible. The object of our faith, biblical, true faith, is God and His will and His pleasure. 
uh, it, this, this one speaks about coming to God. When we realize that we're sinners and that we need someone to forgive our sins, because let's face it, I can't forgive your sins. You can't forgive each other's sins. You can't look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, Dwayne, I know you've sinned, but I forgive you. We could say that, but it would be a pointless exercise. On, the only one who can forgive our sin is God alone. And so when we realize that we have this deep need, and we need God's Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior and Lord, the Bible says this, we repent, we turn from sin, and by grace, through faith, we receive Him, and we are born again. The Bible says that is a gift from God. When we come to salvation, we don't trust in an idea. The object of our faith and our trust is not all of the teaching of Scripture, as, as drastically important as Scripture is. It is not some system of beliefs that our friends tell us about. The only object of our faith for forgiveness of sin and to be adopted into God's family is God Himself. We're trusting in God, not in ideas about God. Now, when we begin talking about faith, sooner or later, the conversation is going to start to sound like a list of things we desire to happen on our behalf. Now, let's be honest. I have a list, and so do you. We all have things we want God to do to change our situation to get rid of a hard situation in our lives, to get rid of something relationally that we don't like or some situation in our job or our financial situation or the list goes on and on and on. It's not long when we talk about faith until we hear a list of things we'd like for God to do for us. Here's the only struggle I have with that if, as, I, as I line it up with Scripture, and that is the object of that is not God. The object of that list is Dwayne. The object of your list is you. So let's look at these six verses and see what we can learn about the object of our faith being God to see if Scripture actually teaches that, okay? Verse 1 says this, faith is the confidence that what we hope for, remember biblical hope is different than just wishing, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Now, often people will pull that out of context, and they'll say this. They'll translate that verse this way. God's telling me to just dream the biggest dream I can dream, and then it's His job to fulfill that dream, and we call it faith. But that is not what it's saying at all. In fact, so we don't miss what it's saying. The Holy Spirit directed the writer of Hebrews, and the Holy Spirit directed all the writers of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit directed the writer to give us some examples immediately. And all of Hebrews chapter 11 is loaded with examples of people throughout Scripture who, by faith, walked with God, demonstrated that the object of their faith is God. But in these six verses, we have four examples, and I want to just kind of confine it to those four, challenge you to read the rest of chapter 11 when you go home and see all of the other examples by faith. So the first example speaks about 
all of the Old Testament believers, all the believers up till that time. It says this, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. That is, God approved and affirmed and commended them. See, the believers of the Old Testament lived with God as the object of their faith, and they received God's approval. Nowhere in that does it speak about them getting things for themselves. It says they lived by faith. The second example speaks about creation. And, and these first four examples of faith are just, uh, first appear to be all over the map, but they're not all over the map. They're just, they're just demonstrating that all of life is lived out by faith, and the object of that faith is not what somebody wants to happen, but is God himself. Second one is, says this, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. In other words, by absolute faith, we accept that God didn't have to take something else and evolve it from this to this to this. But God could just simply speak and out of nothing, something could come to exist. And So that's the kind of faith this scripture commends. The third example has to do with worship. It says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. His offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. His example was taking God at his word, believing God, bringing exactly what God had asked him to bring to offer in worship. And the focus of his worship was God himself, not the offering, not something else, but God himself. Fourth example has to do with daily living. Just every day, every day, every day, every day for a lot of years. You check it out in Scripture. Enoch lived a long time. Verse 5 says this, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was, a known, he was known as a person who pleased God. It was by faith that he lived every day, every day, for years and years in a way that God could say, this man pleases me. That is faith focused on God. The Bible goes on to give a lot more examples in that passage, but none of the examples or of someone saying, I really want this. God, give it to me. God, I'm exercising faith. I need that new Mercedes. Now listen, you think I'm exaggerating? All you have to do is turn on the cable channels, the Christian cable channels, and you will see repeatedly people telling you, if you just have enough faith, you'll never be sick. You'll have everything you want. In fact, you'll have more than you could possibly want. And they're calling self-centeredness and greed faith. I believe what we often call faith is just simply our own desire. The object of our faith is God himself. Second thing we can use to measure our faith by, to see if it's true faith, biblical faith, is this. The result of true faith is the will of God. By this I mean when we exercise true faith in the one true God, the result is that the will of God will be accomplished. Not my will, not your will, because we're just humans. We are not God. 
We are not perfect. We don't have absolute integrity and holiness. But God does. In each of the examples we looked at and the rest of the examples in Hebrews 11, God's will was accomplished. I've been, I've been reading a book for the last few weeks uh, by a pastor called, uh, named Ron Dunn. The title of the book is Faith Crisis. In this book, he says this, Faith is not a means of getting man's will done in heaven. I just need to plug my name in there, okay? You need to plug yours in. Faith is not a means of getting Dwayne's will done in heaven. It is the means of getting God's will done on earth or in Dwayne's life. Faith does not put God at our beck and call. Rather, it puts us at His. If we're going to live the kind of faith we're talking about, biblical, true faith, then we must really, really believe that God's will in every situation is the absolute best thing that can happen. Now, let's be just really honest for a minute. Every one of us have times when we're confronted with God's will and we think, ooh, I'm not so sure I'm going to like this. And so we don't have to have a show of hands to see who agrees with that because I would hate to have to call the rest of you who didn't raise your hand liars. Listen, we've all had that. We know God's will is this thing, and selfishly, we stand over here and look at it going, oh, I wish it hadn't been that. I wish it had been something else that was easier, that looked more fun. And we don't realize that in every situation, God's will is always, absolutely always, the best thing that can happen. The Bible says in Romans 12, God's will is perfect, always. Look at, look at Romans 12, the first two verses with me, okay? It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, and this is talking about absolutely giving ourselves to God. Give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. We're trusting God for the way He says we worship Him and the way we serve Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you. And here's what he, the, the Apostle Paul says about God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's saying when you give your body as, as a as an ex, uh, holy sacrifice, you're worshiping, and that His will is always good pleasing, and perfect. So here's the picture. When we exercise our faith in God alone, the object of our faith is God, and God's will is done, and we believe with everything in us it is the absolute best thing, here's what happens. God gets the glory, and we get the benefit. Pastor John Piper, pastor from Minneapolis, has written many books. He has this one little quote that I live by. I know it's not Scripture, but it lines up with Scripture. He says this, When God is most glorified, I will be most satisfied. Did you get that? 
when God is most glorified, I will be most satisfied. That lines up with God's will is always good. That's true faith and believing that God's will is the best thing that can happen. The result of true faith is God's will is accomplished. The third way we can evaluate our faith is this. The source of true faith. Where do you get your faith from? The source of true faith is God's Word. Romans 10.17 says it this way. Simple little verse, Romans 10.17. Find that verse in your Bibles, wherever they are, whatever it is, uh, search for it. Romans 10.17, highlight this one, bookmark it. It says this, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Now, there are more ways to hear it than it being read aloud. You can sit in your quiet time life journaling in the morning, and as you read God's Word, even if you don't read it out loud, you are hearing God's Word. And faith comes from hearing, and real hearing comes from the Word of Christ. Some translations say the Word of God. Do you want faith? The Bible says it comes from the words of Jesus Christ. That's where we gain faith. Do you want faith to have a right relationship with God? I talk to people every week who are hoping to have a right relationship with God. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. He told a religious leader that. You must be born again. Repent of sin and embrace Jesus. Believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says, by grace through faith you're saved And that's a gift of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 14, he said that. Here's what the world will say to you. Uh, When I ask people, have have you been born again? Are you a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. I was baptized as a baby. And that settles it. The only problem is, absolutely nowhere in Scripture does it say That's the way you gain faith, believing faith, in order to be born again. Which do I believe? What somebody told me or what Jesus said? If I'm going to have a reliable source for my faith, then I'm going to have to have God's Word alone. Because people will say to me, oh, there are a lot of ways to get to heaven. You know, I'm just taking this way, you're taking that way, we're all okay. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? I am the way, the truth, the life. And just in case you missed that, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want faith, the source of that believing faith in order to have salvation is God's Word. Let's say you're already a Christian. You've already believed on Jesus Christ. You're already adopted into the family. He's forgiven your sins. You're His child. But you need faith every day, the Bible says, in order to face trials and struggles and hardship. In Romans it says this, The righteous, that's those who are born again, will live by faith. Now let's go back to Romans 10, 17, where I started to see how we gain that faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. Pay attention to two words in this, the second and the third word. Faith comes. The Bible doesn't say things by accident. The Holy Spirit didn't direct the writers by accident. Faith comes. If faith has to come, then that means it's not inherently in you. You don't inherently have all the faith you need. 
inherently, we don't have faith, according to Scripture. This Scripture says it comes from outside of me. And it comes from, ultimately, the words of the Lord. And so, true faith is going to come from outside of us. We've just come through the Christmas season, so let me give you an example that many of you have just lived out. Uh, Summer and I had two boys, Matthew and Luke. Now, Matthew is 30 and Luke is 25, so hopefully this is not the case now. But years ago, when they were 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, they weren't gainfully employed, Christmas time, they would come and say, Dad, can I have some money to go Christmas shopping? And they would take my money or Summer's money that we had earned, and Summer or I, usually Summer, would take them to the store, spend our gas in our vehicle with them having our money in their pocket, and they would go buy us a gift from them. (laughs) Christmas Day, or whenever we chose to open gifts, They would proudly come with this package wrapped in Christmas paper purchased with our money, taped with tape. Sometimes it had a bow mishappenly stuck to it, all purchased with our money. And they would say, here, Dad, or here, Mom, here's my gift for you. And they would wait to see if we approved when they opened it or when we opened it. And then they would be excited that we really liked their gift to us. How presumptuous is that? They didn't earn one cent of what it took to buy that gift. But they stand there unashamed to offer Summer or me a gift they had nothing to do with. Except they did choose it. So what do I say? When Matthew or Luke would bring me those gifts, do I say, you little ungrateful bum? No, I go, that's awesome. Just what I wanted. Thank you so much. That's the picture of us coming to God with nothing and saying, I need the faith to believe. I know you're the Son of God and I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you as my Lord and Savior. Or of a Christian, one who's been born again, saying, oh God, I have no idea how I'll get through this time. This is the hardest thing I've ever faced in my life. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And God, through His Word, will just give us all the resources we need to go purchase all the faith we need, to come to Him and say, God, here's the faith. You're the object of my faith. Your will is always good and perfect. I believe your word, and I'm giving you my faith to believe that you're going to see me through the hardest time of my life. And God says, That's enough. That's the faith I'm looking for. Thank you so much, Dwayne, for having faith. 
He never says, how presumptuous of you. I gave you that faith. He just says, I'm so glad you've taken that faith and put it to work to believe me and my truth. I give it back to him. I trust him. Now, you say, oh, I want that kind of faith. I'm facing something right now. I need that faith. In fact, every person in this room, beginning with me, none of us need less faith. We're not saying here today, you know, I've got so much faith, I'd just like God to decrease it. I'm just such an amazing specimen of faith. So let's just be honest. All of us need this. Every day. All day. So, here's what we're doing this year. I'm challenging you. You'll, You'll hear this again next week and the week after from Pastor Charlie. I'm challenging you. Dive into God's Word. Stop listening to what everybody else says is faith. You go to the source yourself. Life journaling. You've heard us, if you've been around here more than a few weeks, you've heard us mention life journaling. It's how we do the diving into God's Word. You read a few chapters each day. uh, The hundreds of people in our church family are all on the same page every, every day of the week. Oh, we don't all read every day, all 365 days. Sure, we miss some days, but we just pick up the next day and we go on. And we've been doing this for over four years, since about July or August of 2009 as a church family. So you read a a few chapters. You're asking God to show you a verse he wants you to put to work that day, that he wants you to have the faith to believe him for and act on. There's a simple card out there at the information kiosk describing. We've written out a a description of of how life journaling works. There are life journals out there you can buy. If if $7 for a life journal is too much, there are bookmarks there that have it listed. Hey, you don't even have to do those things if you don't choose to because it's on uversion.com. And some of you already read your Bible on uversion.com and take it with you in your smartphones or whatever. Life journal plan is one of the daily Bible reading plans on there. And you can, you can write out your life journaling. But everybody, whether you've been life journaling for years or whether you're thinking about beginning, should stop by and pick up one of the cards. It's just half sheet of cardstock that explains how simple it is to life journal. You can join this with our church family. Here's the beauty of it. Not only getting you through the scripture, not only applying God's word every day, but when you come to church, when you go to life group, when you have conversations with friends from church, you can say, hey, I was reading today in Revelation chapter 10, and that which happens to be one of the verses for today, and I didn't understand this. And the response from your friends who are also life journaling will either be, well, you know, I... I kind of understood this, or I didn't understand it. Let's go ask. But you're all on the same page instead of saying, Man, I don't know. I read Genesis today. I can't help you. We're on the same page. We're getting through God's Word, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us as a church family in a way that's far beyond and different than if we're all just here and there and everywhere. Listen, it works. You ask people who have been involved with this for a while, they'll tell you it works. I challenge you. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get out there and get whatever you need to start life journaling. Uh, It will give you God's truth, and it will give you the source of God's faith. You need to feed yourself. The weekend sermon is not sufficient to go a whole week. That's like leaving here 
pulling through McDonald's, ordering a Big Mac and fries and saying, there, I don't have to eat anything until next Sunday. Why would we do that with our spiritual life? We need to feed ourselves every day. Ron Dunn, the writer of the book I told you I'm reading about faith, says this, ignorance of the Bible, that's just, I don't know the Bible, or indifference to the Bible, that means I've read it but I don't care, always results in little or no faith. If you're not reading the Bible and you say, I wish I had more faith, you've just said, I'm unwilling to do what it takes to get faith because God's Word is the source of my faith. And I need to know what God says before I can do what God says, don't I? Pastor friend of mine who's in heaven with the Lord now used to say it this way. If I knew what God knows, I would always want what God wants. Let me run that one more time. If I knew what God knows, I would always want what God wants. I need to be in his word to know what he knows and what he wants me to know. Example from my own life. Years ago, 1975, I was uh, in my beginning my fourth year of college, a teaching degree. As far as I knew, I was going to be a teacher, public school teacher. There were several different opportunities and people saying different things, and I was considering different kinds of situations and scenarios. And I really was fairly confused about what God wanted for my life. But I was in God's Word, the source of His truth and the source of faith that I needed. I was reading in 1 Kings chapter 19, the story of the prophet Elijah, the, one of the guys who was taken to heaven without having to die. And there was a time when he'd had this great victory. And then Queen Jezebel, the wicked queen, said, I'm going to kill you in the next 24 hours, one way or the other. Uh, and Elijah ran, scared for his life, and hid. God came and said, hey, get up. I have work for you to do. Go back. And he fed him, sent him on a journey. And Elijah hid in a cave, waiting for a word from God. And here's what happened. It says, a windstorm came, this huge windstorm. Broke up rocks, tumbled rocks down the side of the mountain. And so Elijah went out to the mouth of the cave thinking, well, anything this big must be God. And he stood and he waited, and the Bible says, but God was not in the wind. God didn't speak. And then it says, an earthquake came and just broke up everything. And Elijah stood at the face of the cave, protected by God from all that was happening. And it says, in spite of all of the noise and clamor, that wasn't God either. And then fire fell. And Elijah must have thought, surely this is God. And the Bible says, God wasn't in that. And then in with all of that noise, all that rumbling, all that craziness, it says a soft, low whisper came. And that was God. And God told him what to do. He got up and he did it, and amazing things happened because he had faith in God's Word. God used that for me to say, you know what, all of these things that you're considering is just noise. And what I'm saying to you very quietly is, 
the direction you've been going is not the direction I'm taking you for all of your life. That was the time when I knew that I knew that I knew God was calling me to be a pastor. I could have continued on the other trajectory. Nothing wrong with that. Except I would have been listening to the earthquake and the thunder and all those things. And not that quiet voice of God that I heard through his word. And the trajectory of my whole life has been radically different. And I am so glad that on that day I heard that quiet, soft voice of God in spite of all the earthquake and the thunder and the lightning and all the other noise that was in my life. Question is, will you let God be the object of your faith? Only God. And will you believe that God's will is always good and perfect? And will you absolutely let his word be the source of your faith?